Welcome to the Healthcare Compliance Pad. My name is Susan Freed. I'm a healthcare attorney and your host. I understand how difficult compliance can be, especially for small providers, where oftentimes the compliance officer wears multiple hats. Every day, I work with compliance professionals, probably a lot like you, who are dealing with increasingly complex issues and oftentimes doing it with less resources. That's why we created this podcast. Each week, I'll share a simple, actionable tip designed to elevate compliance within your organization and hopefully make your job a little bit easier. Whether you're new to compliance or just looking for some new ideas, this podcast was created with you in mind. Welcome back to the Healthcare Compliance Pod. Today we're talking about what is undoubtedly one of the most important elements of an effective compliance program, anonymous reporting. In my experience, clients often view anonymous reporting as something that they want to avoid at all costs. So they look at it very negatively. They're hoping they either never get an anonymous report or they have to deal with it very infrequently. This may seem counterintuitive at first, but I actually view non-compliance reports, including anonymous ones, as a good sign that important aspects of your compliance program are working. Now, don't get me wrong, if we're getting these on a daily or frequent basis, that signals a problem, but we should be getting them every once in a while. So if it's been years since you've had one, that probably signals a different problem. Either you haven't publicized your anonymous reporting process very well, or possibly you haven't created that compliance-minded culture so um, people aren't realizing that, hey, they're encouraged and should be reporting compliance issues. The reason why I think you should be getting these from time to time is that no one is perfect and healthcare is very complicated. The regulations are complicated. The billing and coding guidelines are complex. Mistakes are going to happen these aren't excuses for non-compliance, but it is the reality of our industry. We're going to have compliance issues from time to time. The key is we want to learn about them as early as possible, fix them, and then help our organization and our colleagues learn from them so that they're not repeated in the future. Many compliance issues in healthcare are also repetitive, especially when we're talking about billing issues. So let me give you an example of that. Um, Medicare requires that critical access hospitals use a modifier on claims for services provided by nurse practitioners and physician assistants. They changed that several years ago. That's important because the critical access hospital gets paid less for services provided by a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant than it does when it's when the service is performed by a physician. So unless you put the modifier on that claim, Medicare or the carrier is gonna pay you at the physician rate and not the lower rate that they pay for nurse practitioner and physician assistant service, services. So if you miss that update and the critical access hospital continues to submit those claims without that modifier, they're gonna get paid at the higher rate, which is an overpayment. If they don't catch that issue early, it's just going to continue. It could be potentially years before they catch it. 
what's happening is every day multiple claims are being submitted without that modifier. And so the overpayment is just growing and growing and growing. Yes, the critical access hospital is getting the benefit of the higher payment now, but you know, if this doesn't get caught for several years, now they're in a different budget cycle. They probably haven't budgeted for this overpayment. It can be costly to the organization, to the say the least, when you've got a compliance issue, especially one that relates to billing or has patient uh, care impacts that's allowed to continue for a period of time. So it's really important that we're finding noncompliance as early as we can so we can get it fixed. There are lots of things your compliance programs can do to find compliance issues, but one of the best ways to catch compliance issues early is if the people who witness it or who are involved in it tell us about it as soon as they have a concern. We want to encourage people to report compliance concerns to us because that's a really good way to find out, for us to find out about it and be able to fix it. To encourage people to report compliance issues, we need to break down barriers. So we need to make the process simple and we need to remove the fear associated with it. One of the ways to do that is to provide a process for people to submit a concern anonymously. That's important because with employees in particular, fear is probably the primary deterrent for reporting a compliance concern. Either they're afraid of reporting a compliance issue because maybe it involves their direct supervisor or someone above them in the hierarchy, and they're worried that there will be negative consequences to them. Or perhaps it just involves one of their coworkers and they're worried about damaging the relationship with that coworker. So fear is a pretty big deterrent when it comes to employees reporting compliance issues. So we want to encourage them to report and remove that deterrent by giving them a way to report a concern anonymously where it can't be attributed to them. Because anonymous reporting is just such an important aspect of an effective compliance program, and it's been a recommendation of the feds since their very first compliance program guidance back, I think it was in the early 90s, I'm 99% sure your organization probably has one. If you don't, then that's your task is to get an anonymous reporting policy. But assuming that you have one, This week's tip is to take a look at that anonymous reporting policy of yours with fresh eyes. I want you to really give it a critical look and review it as though you're seeing it for the first time through the lens of someone who doesn't deal with compliance a lot. So someone that works in your organization but doesn't work in the compliance department probably isn't very familiar with compliance. This is important because sources of noncompliance and potential compliance problems can come from anywhere, both inside and outside the organization. So we need to be writing this policy, assuming the individual is not necessarily going to be familiar with the process or compliance reporting generally. So we want to make it really clear and really easy to understand 
in order to maximize the policy's effectiveness. So with this perspective in mind, I want you to ask three questions when you're looking at this policy. Now, don't worry if you're driving or if you're at the gym or you just don't have a pen and paper handy while you're listening to this. We have put these questions and the tips for reviewing and drafting an anonymous reporting policy on our website at thehealthcarecompliancepod.com. There's also a link to it in the show notes. So you can just go and grab um, that resource um, instead of having to take copious notes. The questions I want you to ask yourself when you're looking at your policy is, does the process ensure anonymity for the reporter? Does the process explain what the reporter must do to remain anonymous? And last, does your policy address the limitations of the anonymous reporting process? Now let's unpack those. The first question is, does the process ensure anonymity for the reporter? Many policies I've seen over the years are pretty common in that they'll say something like, you can report anonymously a concern by calling our compliance hotline. And then they list a phone number. There is nothing wrong with having a compliance hotline, and that's actually a good way to implement an anonymous reporting process. But that one statement alone doesn't communicate to the reader that the complaint truly is going to be anonymous because it doesn't tell them who's on the other end of the hotline, who's answering that call or who's transcribing that message. In practice, depending on how you're implementing that compliance hotline, it might not actually allow the reporter to remain anonymous. It may actually give away who they are. So, for example, if you monitor it internally and you're a smaller organization, the person answering the phone or transcribing the message may recognize the voice of the reporter. So we need to think through, okay, does this process really ensure anonymity? How does it do that? And then communicate to the reader exactly how it does that. So if you do have an outside third party monitor your compliance hotline, tell them that so they know that. Tell them the compliance hotline is monitored by an outside third party who will transcribe your message and provide it to us. If your hotline is monitored internally, I would highly recommend that in addition to telling them that, that you give them another way in which to report where they don't have to be worried about potentially being identified when they're making the report. So that might be by sending you a written report in the mail. That could be an online form um, if you have that capability. Just make sure when you're putting the policy together or revising your policy, you're very clear with the reader how it is that they remain anonymous so that they know and can feel comfortable that, yes, my report is going uh, to be anonymous. Now, if you are listing an individual that they should mail uh, a complaint to, I will caution you, make sure you put the person's name or title. Also, if that name changes, make sure you get the policy and everything that cites to that modified also. For that reason, you may want to use a job title. I had a situation once where the 
information listed the name of the person and an employee actually did send that send a report to the person but that person had left the company and strangely enough though the the compliance report got to them at their new company um, and ob- that's obviously bad for a lot of reasons um, primarily it contains sensitive information right so we want to make sure it gets to where it's supposed to go so be sure that you're keeping it updated who it should go to either using a department um, head or the the title of the individual who's intaking this um, or if you do use the name of a person and make sure you update that as it changes. The second question to ask is, does the process explain what the reporter must do to remain anonymous? Now, this might seem really obvious to you, so you may be thinking, why would we need to put this level of detail in a policy? But again, remember, All sorts of people are going to be reading this policy, and most of them do not live and breathe compliance like we do. They're not involved in this process, probably ever. It might be their first time. And so we want to make it clear to them that if they want to remain anonymous, they cannot provide identifying information like their name, their email, if their email identifies them, that's really important. I had a situation once where an employee sent from their work email an email to the designated recipient of compliance reports and specifically said in there, and I wish to remain anonymous. Well, obviously, once they've submitted the report using their work email, we now know who the person is. We can try to keep that confidential in the investigation, but there's no assurances. We can never promise a reporter that their identity is going to be confidential because um, the compliance officer, your outside counsel, their obligation and is to the governing body, right? And so it's possible that the person's identity would need to be revealed to the decision maker, the governing body. It's also possible it may be re- need to be revealed to inve- a regulator um, or a government investigator. So we can't promise confidentiality. And so if someone truly wants to be anonymous, they cannot give identifying information in that report. We need to call that out specifically for them and warn them about that. When you're looking at this particular issue, you want to tailor this communication to the process that you've used for anonymous reporting. So if you have a compliance hotline where they can leave messages, make sure they understand, don't include your name in the message because it's just gonna be transcribed to us and it'll get there. Make sure they know, don't share information in the message that could be used to identify you. Or if you're using emails, don't use an identifying email. The last question to ask yourself is, does your policy address the limitations of the anonymous reporting process? We want the reader to understand the limits of the anonymous reporting process because that's going to help ensure they give us as much information as possible, and that's going to help our investigation. 
When someone reports a complaint anonymously, we're not going to know who they are. So we can't talk to them to ask them specific questions. We can't follow up with them to get more information. Basically, their report is what we're going to have to start our investigation. So it's really important that we get as much information as possible in that report to guide our investigation. Since the reader is probably not going to have a lot of experience or really any experience with compliance investigations. We want to make sure they know that there's going to be limits to what we can do. And it's basically going to be what's put in their report. And so we need them to give us as much information as possible, including things like not just the concern, but all specific, the facts relevant to the concern, names of other people who may have information regarding the issue and who we should talk to as part of the investigation. Again, the goal is to be very clear within the policy about what we want the reader to do if they want to make an anonymous report. This clarity should also carry over to any posters or summaries that we have about the anonymous reporting process, whether it's inside your organization or maybe it's in a policy manual or it's in a handbook or on your website. We want to make sure we're carrying through that detail where people are going to see and react to the anonymous reporting process. That concludes our tip this week. Take a critical look at your anonymous reporting policy to make sure it clearly explains how the reader reports a concern anonymously, what to do or not do to remain anonymous, and the limitations of anonymous reporting. A clear policy is going to encourage people to report a concern. And remember, we can't fix problems we don't know that we have. So an effective compliance program has to have an effective anonymous reporting process. For a copy of our free tips and pointers for drafting an anonymous reporting policy, go to our website at www.thehealthcarecompliancepod.com or find a link in the show notes. That wraps this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast either on our website, thehealthcarecompliancepod.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also love to hear from you. You can connect with me via the website or on social media. Remember, compliance doesn't have to be complicated or costly, but it does have to be consistent. I'll be here next week and I hope you will too.